and welcome to episode 5 of Backline Banter. Today we will be having Premier League summary for game week 26. There will be no Liverpool experience, no deep Darwin dive as they didn't play in the Premier League. They played in the Carabao Cup final, which I will have an episode out possibly in the next day talking about the final. As well, to go along with the Premier League summary, we have some blind ranking Premier League players at the end. And we also have team of the week for this game week. So with that being said, let's jump straight into it. Arsenal 4, Newcastle 1. And a not too interesting result, to be honest. As I predicted last episode, I did say Arsenal will win and it could be a question of how many goals. And that was definitely the case in the game between the two teams. Arsenal in the Premier League, just it's looking routine, just constantly winning, constantly scoring a lot and letting very few goals pass them. One thing that did help Newcastle in that game, though, is that Karius started in goal. Due to Dubrovka being ill, Karius started, and he actually played pretty well, keeping a lot of good shots out of the goal. So, into the highlights. Saka takes a corner in the 17th minute, and another set-piece goal for Arsenal this this season. Saka just places it on Gabriel's head. A very good header by Gabriel, but a good save by Karius. A really, really good save. You got to see it, but but doesn't bounce very far from Karius's save. And Livermento, the Newcastle player starting instead of Dan Byrne this game, tries to clear it out. And it just, it hasn't passed the line yet. And he ends up clearing it. But Livermento clears it straight onto Botman's knee, which bounces the other way over the line. Not ideal start for Newcastle. And although it didn't come straight from the header, it's still a set-piece goal. And yeah, wow. Their set-piece coach for Arsenal definitely getting the big bucks at the moment because the amount of goals they're getting from it is a bit wild, to be completely honest. For the second goal, Jorginho plays a great ball to Martinelli, who makes a good run in the box. He then finds himself in the box with some space, cuts it back across the middle to Havertz, who just has an easy tap-in. And to be honest, for this goal, what I kind of got from it the most, Botman, the player that was on Martinelli, could have been a lot tighter on him when Martinelli did his cutback. Because if he was a lot tighter on him, then he's not giving Martinelli enough room to get that cut back, possibly blocking it. Martinelli will probably just look up and see, oh, I can't cut it back now. He'll try and beat him. He might do so, but it's better to be tighter on him than not. And letting him just have space and time to pick out that pass for Havertz just to get an easy goal, one of his easiest of his career, a nice little tap in. In the 37th minute, Saka, with a great dribble, gets the ball at the top of the box and just drifts past a couple of Newcastle players. He then takes a lethal shot, but Karius saves it. So far, and like I said at the start, he played very well, in my opinion. Made some big saves. Would have Dubrovka done the same? 
probably, but you do just expect with Karius, you know, not starting a Premier League game this season. I'm not even sure if he has had any minutes for Newcastle this season, but he comes in and he does well. And two, I got a tight Saka, wow. Wow, wow, wow. He is in some form at the moment, that's for sure, to say the least, quite frankly, because his, his shooting, sublime, his dribbling, oh my. He is so tidy, so quick with his feet, an absolute nightmare for any defender, I can tell you that much for sure. Start of the second half, as the first half was pretty much completely dominated by Arsenal. Newcastle not having much of a look in, but the start of the second half, Havertz with a big chance. Martinelli slipping it through to him. He's in the box with a keeper to beat, takes a shot, but just puts it wide, giving Newcastle a chance to come into the game in the second half. But as we know, that does not happen. 60th minute, Newcastle with a decent chance. Bruno Guimarães finding Isaac out on the left. He dribbles past Kiwar in the box, tries to curl it, but puts it too high over the bar. A chance for Newcastle to get a goal, but Isaac just over the bar. But it is good for Newcastle fans to see him back in the lineup starting back from injury, and I am a big fan of Isaac. I like just the way he plays kind of thing, you know, quite a tall, bit of a lanky striker, but he's very good with dribbling and he can have a shot. Like, I am a fan. Then a few minutes later, Saka with the ball on the right, in the box, cuts it back to get rid of Livramento and just hits it in the corner. Carrius not even moving. Like I said, just before Saka, so good, such good form, you know, just to get in that box and then just dribble past, you know, Livermento in front of him, just does a beautiful fake, a cutback, and just takes Livermento out and then just clinical with the finish. Carries no chance to even getting a touch on the ball, and that is 3 0. Just after that third goal, though, Arsenal get a corner. Taken by Declan Rice onto Kiwa's head and flicks it into the back of the net. But looking at the replay, Kiwa gets a very little touch and it actually hits off Lewis Miley's shoulder into the net. But Kiwa is still awarded the goal and Arsenal now 4 0 in front. Absolutely dominating. At home, yeah, as they should. But Newcastle, not at the races. You would have thought maybe they pull something out of the bag this game just to make it a bit more entertaining, but are not at the races today, that's for sure. And also, another set-piece goal. You've got to be very careful these days when Arsenal get a free kick or a corner because at the moment, they are making as much as they can from those situations. 84th minute, Newcastle get a consolation prize, first goal at the Emirates in almost a decade. That stat is a little bit crazy, to be honest. December 2014 was the last time they scored at the Emirates. Just wow, wow. But the goal very well taken by, by Willock. Dan Byrne has the ball on the left. He puts in a cross and the ex-Arsenal man 
gets on the end of it and just does a beautiful header past Raya, a near perfect looping header in the corner, but sadly for Newcastle, too little, too late. And I suppose that brings up the conversation. I think I had it a few episodes ago. Should Livermento start instead of Dan Byrne? Well, I would have thought so, maybe. I do like Dan Byrne though. It's just, it's a case of if Dan Byrne's playing bad for a few games, then Livermento should play. And that is what happened. But maybe this game, not the one. As Livermento not playing well, Yes, it is against Saka, so, you know, Dan Byrne could have done the same, but he does come on and get the assist for the goal, and even right at the end of the game, Smith Rowe has a shot in the box, hits the corner, and it beats the keeper, goes past him, but Dan Byrne is back in front of the goal line to block it and stop it from being five goals to one. So it does make you think, next game, who should start? I think Livermento not playing that well at the start and Dan Byrne coming on and putting in a good last shift. Dan Byrne should start next game, but a tough decision and a tough loss for Newcastle. This now makes it six wins in a row in the Premier League for Arsenal, looking so dangerous at the moment, like I've said many times. But although they did lose at Porto 1-0, so still showing signs when they're not at home, they can still slip. They can still make a hiccup, not finish their chances, not make enough chances and concede late on. But in the Premier League especially, that is not looking the case. But the cracks are there, however little they may be. Aston Villa 4, Nottingham Forest 2. Villa have the perfect start with who else but Ollie Watkins scoring. Amazing play by Leon Bailey who gets the ball on the right, nutmegs Murillo and drives in the box, plays the ball across to Watkins by himself going through Felipe's legs. The easiest goal Watkins can get. A nice tap in by him. But Bailey doing very, very well this season and very well in that chance to just drive, nutmeg a player and then play the ball across, which he ends up nutmegging Felipe and just creates a goal out of nowhere pretty much. And he's a player that has definitely stepped up since Diaby coming into the squad. You know, somebody who's going to take his place from him. It did happen at the start, Diaby starting in front of him, but Bailey's taken his spot back and really stepped up his game this season. A few minutes later though, Watkins once again gets a good chance. He gets a cutback from Ramsey, has a solid strike first time, but Nia Karte gets in the way of the goal and clears it for Forrest. Villa putting the pressure early on and showing what they are doing in this game. 28th minute now, Douglas Louise puts it into the back of the net. Bailey once again has the ball on the left who plays it to McGinn. McGinn plays it to Ramsey in the box, so calm and composed, plays it to Douglas Louise to shoot and scores first time, giving Villa the 2-0 lead. 10 minutes later, Louise once again, what a man. McGinn has a corner, whips it in, but cleared by Forrest. 
but not very far as the ball gets played back out to McGinn on the right, who's got a play in front of him and just cuts back on himself to create the room to cross the ball and does exactly that. What a delivery by him and just allows Dougie Louise to get on the end of a very dangerous ball and puts it into the back of the net. Makes it look like such a simple finish. And again, what a season for Dougie Louise. One to remember, that's for sure. Playing as more of the defensive midfielder for Villa, but still this season manages to get nine goals along with four assists. Very good by him. And you could say he's in the form of his life at the moment. Villa 3-0 up in the first half. But right before halftime, Forrest get a corner taken by Gibbs White, whipped to a one-year back post who just headers it across to Niakate who gets an easy chested touch to put it in the net. A good way to finish the half for Forest, and hopefully for them can bring how they ended the first half into the second half. Interesting one this one. Four halftime changes at the break. One for Villa, Chambers on for Torres. Possibly a little injury for Pau Torres there so give him a rest. And Forrest, three players on, three players off. Origi's on for a one year. And both centre-backs for Forrest were taken off. They did both have yellow cards. That could possibly be the reasoning behind it. And also letting three goals in in the first half. So so I suppose Nuno thought he wants a change. Takes Murillo and Felipe off. So you can see him trying to do something different. Try and possibly come back and get something out of the game. And it pays off. Forrest, start of the half as they ended it with a goal early on by Morgan Gibbs-White. Alenga ran down the right, gets tackled, but the ball falls to Origi, and he just plays a perfectly timed ball to put Gibbs-White on goal and onside, and Gibbs-White just does a nice little chip over Martinez, putting Nottingham Forest back into the game. A minute after Forest score, Origi, once again, the man who's just came on, puts a ball over the top to Alanga, who gets on the end of it and puts it wide with the shot. Should do better, at least on target, but Forrest looking really good to get another goal. 52nd minute though, Villa getting back into the rhythm. Tealemans hits the post. Moreno running into the box, does a cut back to the top of the box where Tealemans has a shot Probably should score, but he just tries to get it way too far into the corner and hits the post. Bit unlucky from him, as if it was just a couple centimetres to the right, it would have been hitting the bottom corner and finishing the game for Le But no worries, as Aston Villa do manage to get their fourth and stop Forrest coming back into the game. As Oma Bamadele, I hope I've said that right, as a missed place pass, one of the centre-backs for Forrest who came on at half-time and yeah, missed place pass, McGinn intercepts it, plays it to Watkins who shoots at Matt Sells, stops it but not a good stop as it bounces straight to Bailey who taps it home. Matt Sells a bit questionable there not to stop the rebound from going across him, not going out to the wing for a throw-in instead, 
or at least close to a throw-in. But Watkins, being such a threat, gets the chance from his shot and Bailey, who deserves a goal, taps it home. Full-time, Villa 4, Forest 2. Forest with no points and now they are only four points above the drop. But on a positive note, Villa stay in fourth and I didn't actually realize this, but Villa are only six points behind Arsenal. Not really in the Premier League race, you know, obviously not as much as Liverpool, Arsenal and City, but it's only six points. That's only two wins for Villa, two losses for Arsenal. So like they say, never say never. Obviously, I do not see that, that happening, but I do see them holding fourth place and beating Tottenham to it. But I just thought only six points. Wow, it's not as much as I thought. So fair play to Aston Villa. Brighton 1, Everton 1. First half, Buonate plays Welbeck and Pickford comes racing out. Welbeck gets the first touch between Pickford's legs, but it's just too much of a heavy target. It was kind of a touch slash shot, just see what happens, see if I can get it past Pickford, and it does, but just wide of the target. Thankfully, paid off for Pickford. Welbeck with another chance, plays a 1-2 to get himself in the box, but an Everton defender is able to get a touch on his shot to deflect it off target, and Brighton looking dangerous early on, as they should do at home. Although Everton, at the end of the half, has a good bit of play. Dwight McNeil and Decore play some passes with each other, Decore then fires it into the box to Calvert-Lewin, who can't get his touch right and puts it off the pitch for a goal kick. But Decore was offside, so nothing comes from it. Doesn't matter if Calvert-Lewin was able to get his touch and then a shot away as he was offside. So nothing coming from both teams in the first half. Everton, though, in the second half with a massive chance Dwight McNeil does really well to beat two Brighton players and he's able to whip a massive cross, switching the play into Decore, who volleys it first time, beats the keeper, but Lamptey, who is on the line, clears it off and what a save by Lamptey. Fantastic positioning by him and a great header to keep it from crossing the line and clear it. Massive chance for Everton and Brighton do well to stop it. A bit later though, Pickford has a free kick below the halfway line that he just smacks up the pitch. It hits a Brighton player and falls straight to Branthwaite who takes a touch with his right and smacks it into the top left corner with his left foot. What a finish by the defender. Absolute striker's finish, that's for sure. But the young centre-back can do it as well. Yeah, wow, what a finish. And it puts Everton 1-0 in front, away from home. I did think this result was going to be close, but did not think that Everton was going to get the first goal. 81st minute, not good news for Brighton. Gilmore receives a red card from a tackle on Onana. He doesn't mean to get Onana, but he does. He gets a bit of the ball, but a lot more of Onana. 
side of the calf, studs up. Again, didn't mean to, but that's just how she goes. It is a red card and making it a lot harder for Brighton to get anything out of the game, being now down to 10 men. But Brighton, despite, like I said, down to 10 men, keep pushing for an equaliser. Ansu Fatty takes a beautiful shot outside the box and Pickford does really well to get down and saved it. You do expect Pickford to save it, but a good save regardless and a good shot by Fatty. 89th minute, a free kick is whipped in for Brighton, but no one is able to score. Until five minutes later, Pascal Gross whips in across and finds Lewis Dunk, who does a fabulous header into the net across the goal to beat Pickford. What a finish. On Dunk's 400th league appearance for Brighton, what an occasion and what a finish by the big man, the captain. What an impact he has had on the game, on the club in general. What an absolute player, top, top defender. Possibly, you could say, at the best of his game at the moment. And it's good to see Brighton doing fairly well with him as he deserves to be on a team that does well because he is an absolute quality player, one of those solid, solid Premier League players that is just a solid 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10 every week. What a game to remember on your 400th league appearance. And that is full-time, 1-1 draw. Brighton, lucky to get a point in the end, but overall in the game, unlucky not to win with 23 shots to Everton's 6 shots. But a good result for Everton, even though they do let it slip, still managing to get a point at Brighton's ground, very good for them. And with that one point, puts them above the relegation zone. And they're, they're looking like they will survive and disappointing for them again. Dunk just showing his class and his experience by managing to get a late minute equalizer. Crystal Palace 3, Burnley nil. It's Oliver Glasner's first game in charge. As we talked about him last week, I think he's going to be a really good manager for Palace. I do think Palace needed a bit of a change. Roy Hodgson doing as much as he can with the players he got, but it just wasn't enough. So good to see a bit of change for Palace and it works out well for Oliver Glasner in his first game in charge. First minute, Palace have a corner taken short and cut to the top of the box to Lerma who hits it over the bar. 27th minute, a ball by Wharton, the 19-year-old defensive midfielder from Blackburn Rovers. This is his fourth game for Palace and he looks quite promising to be honest as he whips in a ball and finds Edward back post who fires it at gold but Trafford in prime position to save it. Not good news for Burnley as in the 34th minute Brownhill receives a red card. Trafford plays it short to Brownhill but doesn't put enough pace on the pass and Lerma able to run through, get a first time shot in which I reckon he would have finished it 
but Brownhill does not let him past him. He just holds his shirt and does just a big grab to bring him down to the floor so he didn't get to the ball. And like I said, I reckon he would have scored. So stopping a massive scoring opportunity and deservedly receives a red card. Sadly, though, for him, the mistake by Trafford and he has to try and recover and pays the price of it. You could say, though, that maybe Brownhill should have just let Lerma through as you never know. He, he could have missed by some miracle for Burnley, but so early on in the game, making Burnley down to 10 men, is it really worth it? A goal, a man, you know, you've still got 70 minutes to get one back or even two to win it. And it just puts Burnley in a really bad position. But just something to think about. Was the red card worth it? 67th minute. Are you whips in a corner that is headed out by Burnley? It drops the Palace that plays it back out to Ayu, who sends in a cross, which finds Richard's back post, who has a pretty easy headed finish and fires it home. Richard's first goal for Palace and the one that they needed to put them in front. And now the floodgates have opened. Second goal, Franca and Mitchell play a 1-2 on the left. And the two is released to Franca, who sends a ball across goal at the back post. Very dangerous ball. And Ayu manages to get a touch on the end of it and tap it into the goal to extend the lead. For the third and final goal for Crystal Palace, they're on a counter-attack not too long after the second goal. Burnley took a long throw-in into the box and is cleared out and falls to a Palace player and Franca drives with it. It ends up being a 1v3 as Burnley with less men and put people forward for the throw-in. Franca goes all by himself, all the way into the box, gets fouled by Vitinho, who just came on and gets Franca's foot instead of the ball. So a definite penalty. With that penalty, Mateta steps up to take it and of course slots it. He hit it to the right and the keeper went to the left. And Palace flying high today and looking very good. Of course, the 10 men helped end playing against Burnley, but still doing very well regardless and a good game for Oliver Glasner's first. Burnley put the ball in the back of the net by Fafana, but Asignon is offside. He was in the way of the keeper in an offside position, and Fafana's header which he got from a bit of fortune, just bounces to him and puts it into the net, but doesn't get the goal due to the offside. And it's a bit of a tough one this one because yes, Asignon is stopping him from diving, stopping the keeper from diving and is offside, but the keeper is never getting to the goal. You can put anybody in the goal and they're not reaching it. It was a definite goal. But that is the rules, and Johnson very lucky to keep the clean sheet. With the three points for Palace, it puts Palace eight points above the relegation zone. They're looking good, and Burnley, not good. They are still in the relegation zone, and that could have been a game where they get closer to coming out of the zone of the drop, but 
it just doesn't look like the case and it and it does look like they are going down this season. Bournemouth nil, Manchester City one. Wow. A, another close game in terms of goal for City, but another dominant win. Well, at least for the most part anyway. A big striker matchup as well in this game. Dominic Solanke and Erling Haaland. The only person to score more open play goals in the Premier League than Solanke is Haaland. So you would have thought there would be a lot of goals in this game, especially on City's behalf. But not the case, just a 1-0 victory for City. Eight minutes in, Bernardo Silva plays a ball over to Foden, who just does a beautiful touch to, to carry it on to Haaland, who runs in on goal, has a shot and misses the target. A chance where you do expect him to do better, at least on target. And at the moment, it feels like I'm saying this quite often in a bit of a, not a dry patch because he is still scoring Haaland, but not in his best form at the moment, that's for sure. Anyway, a bit later, 24 minutes in, Kovacic plays it over to Haaland in the box who takes a shot but is saved by Neto but can't parry it out very far and just falls into the path of Foden who has an easy tap in to give City the 1-0 lead. City dominating in the first half. Very few chances for Bournemouth as you'd expect but City end up winning the first half. And an interesting fact Bournemouth are the only team who have lost every game when down at halftime. And against City, you don't expect them to change that. And of course, they don't. But Bournemouth looking very good at the start of the second half. Having some chances. Nothing major though, but getting forward and having some shots. 54th minute, Semenyo is on the right, does a nice bit of dribbling to get past Ake, the former Bournemouth player. Puts a cross in and Tavernier gets on the end of it but doesn't get his volley right and Diaz is able to head it away. Bournemouth though, still fighting to get an equaliser at home. They get a corner taken by Tavernier who whips it back post to Solanke who headers it on goal and just doesn't go over the line. Edison punches it out from Solanke's header, but he was quite far behind the line and just punches it before it was too late in crossing the line. Haaland with another chance. Does a 1-2 with Silva, which the two puts Haaland in on goal. He's looking to shoot first time, but Kirkes gets a touch on it and sends Haaland wide. And Haaland takes a shot. From the wide position, a good save by Neto to keep him out. And City still lead only by one goal. Bournemouth late on in the 90th minute. Have a good bit of play. Solanke picks it up, plays it out wide to Semenyo, who is given too much space. And with three City players in front of him, none of them stepping in. He has time to send it across in the box, straight to the head of Enes Unal, the man on loan from Getafe, and just puts his header wide. 
good power on it. And if it was on target, Edison would not have been able to save and it would have been the equaliser. From some angles, it did look like it went in, but just wide. And that finishes the game. City won, Bournemouth nil. A tough win for City, to be honest. Just wasn't able to finish their chances. And Bournemouth playing really well in the second half and a bit unlucky to not score and get a point. Man United 1, Fulham 2. Wow. I kind of hinted last episode that this could be a game where Man United would slip, but I thought at home Man United would be able to do the job as that is what I predicted. But, you know, Man United trying to catch Tottenham to put themselves well and truly in the race for top four, but Fulham having other ideas, beating them in some style. Also, Hoyland not starting this game, not even in the squad, in fact, as he is injured due to a muscle injury. So Amari Forson gets his Man United starting debut, and it will be interesting to see what he can do. Start of the game. Awobi misses two pretty big chances early on. The first one, Castagna plays a ball over the top to Muniz, who does a brilliant header, hits the back of his head, maybe a bit of some fortune, but lands in front of Awobi on the run and has a hit of it with the ball bouncing and just doesn't connect with it properly. And it hits the ground first and bounces wide. Second chance, Fulham with a good bit of play, hitting some nice passes and even some tidy ones. Andreas Pereira slips the ball into a Wobi who dribbles it through, no one closing him down and takes a shot at the top of the box and just drags it wide again. This one, I think he should score, minimum put it on target, but Fulham starting well and unlucky not to get a goal early on. Fulham again though has a corner taken by Andreas Pereira who puts it right on Muniz's head who does a solid header towards goal, has a bounce and is saved well by Onana to keep Fulham out. A bit later on, Diego Dallo, like he's been doing throughout the whole season, takes a ping from outside the box and looking for the back of the net, just misses out by hitting the post. Really good effort from him, and if that would have went in, that would have been an absolute screamer. Far out, curling it to the side netting. Honestly, this one kind of like Declan Rice's finish against Arsenal, but I think this one was harder, was harder, as he did have to take the touch and then the shot, so to get the power from his touch and him, you know, not running like Declan Rice was, does really well. But Fulham, once again, on the break, this time, Lukic drives forward, plays it to Pereira, takes a touch inside and curls it, going into the side netting, but is just saved by Andre Onana. What a save by the Cameroonian an absolute fingertip save we're talking about and just shows the keeper that he was last year with Inter and lately 
he has been in really good form. So it's good. He's finally constantly and consistently finding his feet at Man United and showing why he was such a good keeper last season. In the second half, Man United let a shot fly by Garnacho. He received the ball from Lindelof out wide, takes a few touches inside and lets it fire outside the box. And Leno with a good routine save to keep it level. 51st minute, a big head clash with Casemiro and Reed, which ends up in Casemiro coming off due to concussion. Reed is able to continue, but not what you want to see in the game. Obviously, unintentional from both parties, just both going for the ball, trying to get that head up, but but they end up colliding with their heads and definitely a tough one to take and unfortunate for Casemiro not to continue. But Fulham get their goal to put them in front at Old Trafford. Andreas Pereira whips in a corner to Semenyo, who volleys it first time, hits Wilson, bounces back to him, and he just laces this one in the top of the net past Onana and put themselves 1-0 up at Old Trafford. Laces this one, top netting past Onana, giving him no chance to save it as it had a lot of pace on the shot. And good goal by Fulham to give him the lead. 89th minute, Bruno Fernandes has the ball on the left, cuts inside to beat Castagna, has a shot saved by Leno, but Leno just can't parry the ball out far enough, and Harry Maguire gets a tap in to level it 1-1 right near the end of normal time. But Alex Awobi finds a winner in the 96th minute. He's had chances in the first half and at least should have put one away. But he ends up doing it when Fulham need it most. Fulham are in their half, lump throwing up the field. It takes a few touches, falls to Adama Traoro who dribbles down the right, has to get past Maguire which he just nutmegs him and keeps running with his pace nobody can catch him he looks across to play a ball sees Awobi plays it to him Awobi just takes a touch in the box and slots it home Onana not even moving what a play by Adama and great finish by Awobi to score it and give them the late winner and give Fulham all three points Man United thinking They've scrapped a one point at home, not good enough, but they'll take the one point. But Fulham saying no, showing their class at the end. Again, a good win for Fulham. Wolves won, Sheffield United nil. A result you do expect Wolves winning, but you would think that Wolves score more goals. Only the one for him, and you would have thought more from Wolves, but I suppose Cunha's still out, but Huang Hee Chan and Pablo Sarabia and Pedro Neto, you would think, would do the job scoring more, but that isn't the case, but regardless, they get three points. Also, for Sheffield, Fodderingham, the Sheffield keeper, dropping to the bench, and Ivo 
Gribich. Gribich. I'm going to say Gribich. I think that sounds right. Ivo Gribich starts instead of him. Um, an interesting one, this is, that's for sure. He came this transfer window. He's played three, he's played two games before it, one where he started in the FA Cup, didn't do very well, and one against Palace where he got subbed off in the 52nd minute. I thought personally Fodderingham is doing very well this season for Sheffield, keeping them in games, doing a lot of great saves. I guess Chris Wilder, the Sheffield manager, not thinking the same and putting a new keeper in. Early on in the game, Webster, the striker for Sheffield United, has a couple chances early on. One from across that he had a hit, blocked by Wolves player, goes straight back to him, who half volleys it, does a good effort, but he's saved by Jose Sarr. A lot of power behind it. But you don't expect him to score from that anyway, but good effort nonetheless. His other chance, he's running in on goal. With support to his left, he decides to go alone, but his shot is blocked by Totti. He did really well, Totti, to sprint back and stops the shot flying at goal. If you're in that position, you've got to either just go alone like he did and take the shot and score or cut it back for nearly a guaranteed goal and try not the defender to intercept your pass. But not too long after Webster's chance, McAtee runs in behind the Wolves' backline, receives the ball over the top, and is one-on-one with the keeper, but just can't connect with the ball properly, and Jose Sarr has an easy save to make. But a lot happening early on. A minute after that chance, Pablo Sarabia headers it home for Wolves 1-0 up. Ait Nuri is on the left, cuts in and puts a cross in to Sarabia, which he just does a beautiful little touch to guide it into the corner. A very difficult header to execute, but he does absolutely sublimely to score. There's also a penalty shout for Wolves. Sarabia in the box. This is the second half now. He kicks it up into the armpit of Souza, but no penalty given. And I believe that is the right call because his arm is in as much of a natural position as you can and he can't do anything to get out of the way of Sarabia just smacking it into his arm, shoulder area, so no penalty. Sheffield United, though, trying to get the equaliser to get a point out of this game after completely wasting a free kick opportunity as Harmer just missed all the runners and did it way too far back post. Ten minutes later, they get a throw-in, which they take long into the box. McAtee helps it on, but nobody is able to get a touch in the back post. So that is full times. Wolves hold their 1-0 lead for the win. And to be honest, it's not a bad result for Sheffield. Yes, they didn't get any points from it. And it, you know, nothing different from if it was a 5-0 defeat to a 1-0. But you can see that this game, they played better. They played pretty well to their standards, to be honest. Defended pretty decently, but just unable to finish the chances. And you do have to say, with the chances early on for Sheffield, that they were unlucky not to get anything out of the game. But with this win for Wolves, nobody would have expected this. They move up to 8th 
place. What a season Gary O'Neill is having with Wolves. I remember at the start of their season, they had some tough losses and most where VAR was not in their favor and very unlucky to not get more points. But them sitting in eighth, looking very well, fair play to them. West Ham 4, Brentford 2. David Moyes has faced 43 teams in his time at West Ham, has bet every team he's versed bar Brentford. So David Moyes finally beats Brentford, only team he's been unable to do so, and West Ham actually get their first win of the year with not winning eight of their previous games in all competitions. And before we get into the chances, because I am just going to talk about the goals in this one, just try to speed through it. Jared Bowen, wow, what a player. 14 goals in the Prem and two assists. Amazing stats for the West Ham player. He's been doing it for a few seasons now, and this is actually his highest scoring Premier League season ever. And there's still 12 games to go. So just showing his level. And maybe, I mean, I don't see it happening. Maybe he wants, maybe he might get a move to a bigger team, but I don't see him leaving West Ham. He just seems like the perfect player for them right at home and doing well. Why would you want to? So he scores two goals within one minute, one in the fifth and one in the sixth. Very early on to set the standards for West Ham to achieve their win. For Bowen's first goal, Emerson runs down, cuts it back to Bowen, and Bowen just takes a touch with beautiful technique, makes the ball outswing to the near post to beat Flecken. What a finish. The second, Kufau, this time, cuts it back to Bowen and first time finishes it into the goal. Two shots, two goals, very clinical from Jared Bowen. But Brentford find one goal in themselves, Lewis Potter plays Malpai in on goal and Malpai just kind of slides and manages to get his foot under the bowl and guide it into the top corner. A good finish for Malpai, including the position he kind of got himself in, slipping, sliding, but does well and to have a pretty quick reply about eight minutes after them conceding the second to give them a chance back into the game. But West Ham in the second half, in the 60s minute, gets two quick goals. The first is for Bowen's third goal of the match and get his hat trick. The ball crossed in from Kudos and headers it home once again past Flecken for what is actually his first senior career hat trick. I would have not thought that at all. He's He's had 16 braces previously in his senior career. So obviously 16 games where he's been on that two goal mark, but never been able to get the third until this match where he does. And the fourth goal for West Ham a few minutes later from Bowen's hat trick. Emerson has the ball at the top of the box, takes a touch and fires it to the right corner. Absolutely unsavable and what a finish from the left back. But Brentford get a bit of a consolation prize goal. Wister, who came on not too long ago, gets the goal. He gets played the ball. Let's kind of roll past him a little bit, 
takes a touch and then does a tidy finish into the corner to beat Ariola. And of course, that is full time 4 2, a well needed win for West Ham. Brentford unable to do the job. I did think this was going to be a pretty close game, and it wasn't really. West Ham was pretty dominant. Those early on goals helped them massively. And this now brings West Ham now into eighth. Like I said before, Wolves dropped to ninth, but still amazing by Wolves. And Brentford now five points above the drop. So they do need some wins, at least some points soon. But Brentford playing well, not as much as this game, but West Ham picking up their form along with the three points. And that is the last game for the Premier League summary. So next one we're getting into is... Team of the week. So I am gonna I am gonna kind of speed through this because I don't have a lot of time. So I'll try to spend as much as I can, but it will be a bit of a speed through this one. So in goals for game week 26, team of the week, I have Carrius. And I know what you're thinking. He conceded four goals against Arsenal, but I think he made some very big saves and stopped it from possibly being seven and I am I am gonna blame it a little bit I am rushing this one so I just had to find a goalkeeper only one I could really think of is Carrius so he's in the team some good saves hasn't played for Newcastle in the Premier League this season steps up and does a good job and really the four goals that he did concede none of them is fault so well-deserved goalkeeper in my team of the week for the formation this week, I've gone with a 3-3-4. So three center backs, three midfielders, and then two strikers I've put, and then a right winger and left winger. So my three center backs. The first one is Richards, the American Crystal Palace center back. He ended up getting his first goal for Palace on the weekend and also a clean sheet for Palace in their 3-0 victory against Bournemouth. Thought he played well, defended decent and also got the goal as well. So can't complain about that. Akanji also in the centre-back. He gets a clean sheet against Bournemouth, which you do expect, but he still did good nonetheless because Bournemouth in that second half was very well fighting for an equalizing goal, so to keep him out does well. For my last and final center back, this one I'm going to put in the middle of the park, Lewis Dunk. He scores the late minute equalizer on his 400th club appearance for Brighton and just is always quality. This game played very well, very solid. Everton having a few more chances, they maybe could have scored a couple more, but Lewis Dunk and the whole Brighton defence doing well to keep him just at the one and a well-deserved place in a centre-back dunk. For my three midfielders, now I've got two kind of more defensive players. So Douglas Louise, my first bit more defensive midfielder in the three, gets two goals against Forest. Really, there's not much more to be said. He Two goals, he plays well in general, just absolutely linking the play for Villa. The whole season, he has been so good, like I said previously, and very well-deserved spot. 
My second kind of midfield that's going to sit a little bit deeper is Loma. The midfielder for Crystal Palace. As I said, they got the win, a clean sheet, 3-0 win over victory. I thought he played very well. Again, just like Dougie Louise, linking the passes, being that absolute engine room in the Palace team. And he was also, you could say, the catalyst for Brownhill's red card. Obviously, it was Trafford's mistake. And obviously, and if Lerma wasn't there, it probably would have been somebody else. But nonetheless, he was still there. Palace, the good start. And in general, I thought he played really well. In the final midfield spot, this one I'm going to play as a bit more of a box-to-box role. Not really his normal positioning, but I think can definitely do a good job. Alex Awobi, the man who got a late-minute winner against Manchester United to wrap the three points for Fulham. In general, played pretty well. The only downside to his game was early on him missing two big chances where he should have scored at least one of them. But he makes up for it in the end. And same as the other midfielders, just links the passes. Awobi in particular, getting forward and doing well. So so that is my midfield three. For the forward line, I have two wingers and two players up front. Of course, usually when I do these teams, I just say the midfielders kind of switch around. The forwarders just all shift, you know, nice fluent, no specific positions. You know, if you'd have a little dribble over to the left, then that left player just moves in the middle and so and so. So I will start off at the left wing spot. I have got Bakayo Saka. I know traditionally a right winger, but he can do the job left wing. He does only manage to get the one goal in their ass in Arsenal's victory over Newcastle, but he was just dominant the whole game, making Livramento having an absolute nightmare to defend against him. Just so quick on the feet. And although he doesn't get another goal or assist, always involved in the play to get Arsenal a few other goals. In at right wing, another very, very deserved spot. Leon Bailey, the man who got a goal and assist and absolutely killed it for Villa in that forward line. Making nothing out of something right early on and then also getting the goal from the bounce, from Watkins shot, getting a tap in. But the whole game, he was just relentless down that right. Defending, going attacking, doing those nice dribbles to get past players, setting up other people for chances. Complete right winger performance from him. Very good game for his standards. The two players I have up front is Jared Bowen and Jordan Ayew. We'll talk about Bowen first as I did touch on him not too long ago. He gets his hat trick, the first of his senior career, and just absolutely clinical. Three shots, three goals. What more do you want from from a striker slash winger? I know his preferred spot is right winger, but he also does a job up front for West Ham. And not much more that needs to be said. Hat trick, what a player, what a man. Congratulations. Like I said, the other striker next to him, Jordan Ayew. He gets a goal and assist in Palace's win. And I just thought, along with Loma and Richards, played really good. One of the standouts, one of the standout players. Of course, the whole team did well, but I thought IU definitely deserves a mention 
with his contribution in front of goal and really linking that forward play up to get him the goals to beat Burnley three goals to none. So that is my team of the week. I do have two names where I thought could have possibly made it into the team. I have got Lamptey and Semenyo. Lamptey, I thought, did well in the Brighton game, did a very, very good goal line clearance and in general just played solid. Just played solid. What a player for Brighton. And Semenyo, he, I think, I think I would have put him in the team if Bournemouth did get that goal to equalize the game against City. But he was so bright in the game, but just finished on the end of his crosses or himself not scoring. So so close and played such a good game, but just got nothing from it. So I'll run you through my Premier League Team of the Week for game week 26. Once again, in goals, Carrius, which to be honest now, thinking of it, I just should have put Edison. He played pretty well and got a clean sheet. But oh well, we're sticking with Carrius. The three centre-backs, Richards, Akanji and Lewis Dunk. The three midfielders, I've got Douglas Louise, Alex Awobi and Lerma. Then the four players up front, Saka left wing, Bailey right wing, Ayu up front, along with Jared Bowen up front as well. Blind ranking now. So this one will be, again, same as the first episode when we did it. I will randomly see five players' name, one after the other, but I don't know who's coming next. I have a one spot, two, and three, and four, and five, and I have to pick. So let's say, for example, the first player is Mo Salah, and it's based on this season performance. So Salah being one of the best players in the Prem, I would put him in that number one spot, and then giving me my number two, three, four, and five spot to put the other players. So Let's say our next play then is Luke Shaw, let's say, just because I know we had him the first episode. Um, he didn't. Play, he hasn't played many minutes. When he has, he's been good, but just not enough times. I'd probably put him fourth. So, so you kind of get the gist of it. Number one's the best, fifth is the worst, and sometimes and most of the times the ranking will be wrong because it is blind. You might get the best player in the world, put him second, and you'll be like, oh, no, I'm going to get a better one. But then you use all your other spots. Your last player, it has to go on number one, and then you get a bit of a stinker, you know? So let's get straight into it. The first player that has come up for me is Vinicius Souza, the defensive midfielder for Sheffield United. Now, I think this season for Sheffield, he has been absolute quality. He's gotten a goal and and very important for Sheffield. Plays week in, week out. An underrated midfielder, in my opinion. So, where am I going to put him? Oh, it's tough. It is tough. And that's why it makes it so hard. Because I could get four insane players that are better than him. Or I can get absolute four stinkers that are worse from him. Two better, two worse from him. So I am going to play this nice and stay safe. It was either second or third spot, but I'm going to put him number three. Hopefully we get some big players that I can put above him, but well-deserved number three, been very good this season. Next player I have gotten is Ilya Zarbanyi. So 
hopefully I've said that right. This always seems to come up in the highlights and the pronunciation is a bit difficult. But the Bournemouth centre-back plays week in, week out. He's got 26 appearances, a very solid centre-back for Bournemouth. So where am I going to put him? I don't think he's better than Souza. Um, I think I just like Souza better and he's a bit more of an engine. So I am going to put Zabanyi number four. Next player I have got on the list is Nonu Madueke, the Chelsea winger, who's actually only gotten eight appearances for Chelsea this season, managing to get two goals, but I thought he's been playing a lot more recently, to be quite honest, but clearly not with the eight appearances, four of them being starts. So there's not much thinking to this. It's just straight fifth place. So at the moment, I've got Souza in third, Zabanyi in fourth, and Madaweke fifth. So we need some big players for number one and two. Oh, no. My fourth player I have gotten is Matt Turner, the Forest goalkeeper. He's not been playing recently. Matt Sales has been playing ahead of him. He's gotten 17 appearances this season. And yeah, he's a decent goalkeeper, but I think just below the Premier League level because he can play games where he does go very well, but then also has a bit of a stinker, lets in some pretty easy goals. And sadly, I've only got number one and two spots. So I'm going to have to put him second if I had all my numbers through and I could switch them, I would probably put Matt Turner below Zarbanyi and ahead of Matawake. So, oh, like I said at the start, I should have put Souza in second and it would shift everything up. But, oh well, that is why it is called blind ranking. And that's why it makes it a bit more interesting, makes it a bit more funner. You know, who's putting it, Matt Turner in second place in their top five random Premier League players? Am I right? My last player I have been given, Josko Gvardiol, the Croatian defender for Manchester City. He's playing 18 games, 16 of them starting. And to be honest, number first, that's the only spot for him. So obviously he's going to be put in that number one spot. I'm not too upset with him. With all the plays, I'm not too upset with it. So I'll run it through again. Number one spot. Gvardiol, number two, Matt Turner, three, Souza, four, Zabanyi, and fifth, Matawake. Genuinely, not the worst. Only thing I would change is Matt Turner down to fourth and push Souza and Zabanyi up one. But apart from that, not the worst it's been, that's for sure. And possibly you could ask, you could argue to Gvardiol switching with Souza, but I think I'm not too happy with that. It hasn't gone that too bad. Hasn't gone too bad. And that is the blind ranking done. I would have maybe liked to do a couple more, but again, like I said, time is running out. So without further ado, I'm going to wrap the episode up there. If you have enjoyed listening, please give me a follow, rate me five stars, like the episode, whatever you can do to support the podcast would be greatly appreciated. I do have to apologize in advance as 
the Liverpool v Chelsea Carabao Cup final review episode will be out probably Friday to Saturday, a bit later. I know the game, at least in my time, was on the Monday, so a lot later than I wanted it to be, but I can't really help it. I'm going on camp tonight. I'll be going for the Wednesday night, Thursday, and back on the Friday, so no time to record, to edit, to do any of that. So you're just going to have to wait a bit longer, but it will be worth the wait. Trust me on that one. So, see ya.